Jesus is enough, or as they say in Icelandic, Jesus er nog. Either way, whether you're from America, an English-speaking country, or Iceland, we welcome you to Grace Walk Radio, where Jesus is enough. Our mission is to teach the gospel and talk about the gospel in belief and practice and to discuss how to live under grace in a modern world. I welcome you. I'm your host, Derek Lewandowski, and I'm here with my co-host, Caleb Berg. Howdy. Here we are the day after the inauguration of the new president of the United States, Joe Biden, in the midst of a cultural circus, um, a cultural storm. Um, the days ahead are uh, no promise of <laughs> of that subsiding. Uh, maybe, maybe just new storms and... Uh, you know, a new circus. But uh, either way, we we pray for our new president, and God is sovereign over this election, and uh, hope that you uh, all listening uh, trust God in a way that you know that, uh, as Daniel said, God sets kings into power and deposes kings. And um, so that's our hope, that God is sovereign over our country. Um, we are not afraid of our future. This could be our finest hour as God's people, as we continue to trust in Him and preach His gospel in word and deed, uh, because Jesus really is enough. And uh, sometimes, Caleb, I think, um, you know, regardless of where you land on the political spectrum, uh, regardless of what the circumstances of your life are, sometimes in order to truly believe that Jesus is enough, um, we need to be in a situation where that is necessary. Yeah. And I think a lot of people feel that in 2020 and 2021. Um, and, uh, you know, th- these are crazy times, but uh, what, what, a, what a great time to really be reminded to abide in Christ. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think it's just a reminder for all of us as we look at, as you said, the circus of it. Um, and it, it may feel like that. It may feel like you know, this oddity that's in front of us and uh, craziness and a spectacle, but none of it has caught God off guard. And so therefore we can trust in him and um, remind each other of the gospel that Jesus saves. And that's where our hope needs to lie. Amen. We're back in the book of Galatians today as we continue our podcast series on the book of Galatians. I'm going to read from Galatians chapter 1, verse 11 uh, through verse 23. So just be encouraged by the scripture reading today. Paul writes, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to destroy, I'm sorry, to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. Only 
the only thing they were hearing, they only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. So here we have Paul the Apostle, um, who had been Saul persecuting the church. Now Paul, speaking to this church that he himself had established on one of his, uh, was it his first missionary journey? And he's reminding them of the gospel. Not only that, in reminding them of the gospel, he's reminding them of his background. And the reason that's significant is because uh, these false teachers had come into the church, these Judaizers, these Judaismizers who were claiming uh, that the very uh, legalism that he walked away from was actually what they needed. And so Paul, I think, is in part here, Caleb, establishing his credibility to remind them, hey, listen, guys, ladies, gentlemen, brothers, sisters, this is what I walked away from. This is is the very thing that destroyed me and made me hostile toward Christians. And and now you want to come back to that? So I think, you know, in saying these things, he's He's uh, sort of reestablishing his credibility to preach the gospel of grace because he was someone that once persecuted it. So how miraculous was his salvation um, and supernatural for him to go from the, you know, the east to the west, the north pole to the south pole theologically to the point where he would actually become an advocate of grace? Yeah. I, I think it's, you know, interesting and in like looking over this about his life and, <coughs> excuse me, in other places, I think First uh, Corinthians, maybe it's Second Corinthians. He kind of recites some of this as well, um, and then as well in Philippians, which we taught in uh, some Facebook live devos um, earlier this year. Uh, wow, twenty twenty, not earlier this year, or earlier last year. Um, you see this history of Paul, and you know, I mean, when he was known as Saul, he has this pedigree that anybody could have boasted in. You know, I mean, he was a Pharisee, you know, he was born into the tribe of Benjamin. He was zealous, as he mentions here, so extremely zealous uh, was he for the traditions of his fathers. And then I, we got to verse 15, and it just kind of hit me when when it says that he had been set apart before he was born and called by his grace. Like, you know, there's, again, predestination just kind of snuck in there. <clears throat> not snuck in there. Um, but, you know, to, to look at this guy and the the pedigree that he had, and again, to say, as he does in Philippians, that he call, considers it all as loss, as rubbish. Um, and yet, that's what they want to return back to. You know, here's a guy who could look at that and say, like, I know the depths of legalism and the law and, and what it can do. The death, the death yeah. it brings into your soul. Why would you want to go something. back to that? Exactly. Why would you want to go back to something that just literally produces death in you? Right. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned the word predestination. Yeah. You know, Paul Paul's conversion uh, should make someone who is skeptical of uh, election skeptical of their skepticism. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. <laughs> I, I I remember. Uh, a few years ago, um, there's a, a woman who came into our church, and you know we're 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 reformed theologically, and you know she she heard me preach on election. She's I don't know, you know I'd like to learn more about this. So I think I gave her the book Chosen by God by uh, R.C. Sproul. That's a Sproul book, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, she 
read it or tried to read it and came back to me. She's like, man, that is over my head. I, <laughs> I you know, and, and she, so she was struggling um, just with the concept. And, you know, I said, well, just stay in the Word, you know, continue to wrestle with this in the Word. And she'd gotten involved in a group, and they were going over the text in the book of Acts where uh, the light from heaven, you know, blinded Paul and, and you know, his conversion story. And she called me the next day and she goes, all right, I'm in. I said, what do you mean? She goes, we studied that text in Acts last night of Paul's <laughs> conversion. And I realized, what did Paul do to yeah. earn his salvation or to attract himself to God? Yeah. And she said, nothing. Nothing. Like, God just picked him. God just chose him. And through these circumstances, you know, regenerated his heart and opened his eyes to to the very one that he was persecuting, and he did it in a moment of time. She yeah. said, only God can do that. And so it's interesting that this was the very story that convinced her of predestination and election, uh, yeah. that it was just God's sovereign choice to save Paul. It, it really, you know, so I, I had the opportunity to preach through Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 this week. You know, the, the famous portion of that is verses 8 and 9, uh, for by grace we've been saved through faith, and this is not of our our doing so that anyone should boast. Um, and that's the Caleb paraphrase, because you may find out I'm not great at memorizing. <laughs> um, but that's the heart of the gospel, is that there's nothing that I can do to add or take away. Um, it's literally just a work of God. A, a zero-boasting gospel. Yeah. And Paul, again, is going at great length to say that if there ever was anyone who could boast, it would be him. But then you see verse 15 and realize even Paul has nothing to boast in because it says, he set me apart before I was born. So before Paul could even even learn at the feet of Gamaliel or um, become a Pharisee of Pharisees, God had elected Paul unto salvation. So literally there was nothing he could do. Mm. There's nothing he could do to make himself worthy of it. Mm. And, and I think that's just the gospel that we need we need to understand is, you know, as we, well, as we look at everything through the lens of the gospel, which is one of the principles of this podcast, um, <clears throat> you, you see how little that you can add to anything. Like it, it's Christ, it's Christ alone. It's God alone. He's doing the work. Amen. And, and so let's circle back now to the, yeah. to the very front and center headlines in our culture today. You know, Joe Biden was elected president yesterday. Kamala Harris is now the vice president of the United States. I mean, Kamala Harris historically has a pretty wicked record toward, uh, toward Christians and uh, conservatives and conservative ideas. <clears throat> but you look at this text here, and it makes you go, man, God can do anything. God can save yeah. anybody. And so, um, first of all, spiritually dead people act spiritually dead. Okay, so don't be surprised if people act spiritually dead. I listened to you know some of your message from this last weekend. I was on the road and I heard you you know talking about that. Mm-hmm. Not not being shocked by the people acting according to their nature and their spiritual condition. So that should give you mercy for people who act according to their fallen nature, uh, and should give you mercy for our country that is simply acting acting according to its fallen nature. But reading a text like this should also give us courage to pray yeah. for the sudden conversions of people, yeah. whether it be those in government or those in society or those in culture. God can do this whenever he wants to do it. He can interrupt a person's life, interrupt a person's worldview, interrupt the inertia of their <laughs> uh, their life, and he can save them. So 
as we read this and we talk about election, remember there's no fatalism or laziness offered yeah. to the Christian in Scripture. The means through which God does this is the prayers of the saints. Yeah. And so somebody must have prayed for Paul. Yeah, yeah. Right? Somebody must have That's been praying good. for him. So <laughs> pray for, the, the in your mind, the worst person, the person farthest yeah. from God. Pray for them. Who knows what God might do? Because I think this text speaks to that. God has now power. God has yeah. sudden conversion power. Well, I imagine, you know, based on social media, that there's a lot of people out there who are afraid of the fact of what you just said. You know, you've got a president like Joe Biden, who's a liberal, an extreme liberal like Kamala Harris, who is the vice president. And so there's real fear that's going out there right now by Christians in the United States as to what this looks like for us now. I even saw somebody yesterday tweet out, that they anticipate that in the next four years, we will have the ability to meet in buildings stripped away. I don't know if I'm ready to go that far yet to say that that's my prediction. But if so, mm-hmm. God will give us grace. Yeah. But what I would like to say is, like, that's verse 13 of Paul's life. Um, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. So, as you said, somebody must have been praying for Paul. At that time, Saul, um, we we need to be praying and take that very seriously to pray for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. Mm-hmm. I, I I think that that's number one. You know, the, the word does tell us to pray for our leaders, um, but we should be praying for their salvation as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and if God can do that in somebody like Paul, mm-hmm. who once tried to destroy the church, He can do it again. He will do it. In people's lives, so let's pray for them. Let's yeah, pray and, for and it wasn't blatant. It, it was it wasn't hidden. It was blatant. Like, yeah. here's a, a leader. I mean, a, a religious leader, which you know was pretty tied into the political environment at the time too. Um, but here's this guy who is openly like, I hate Christians and I'm trying to kill them. Yeah, right. I mean, we don't have government leaders quite there yet. Right. You know, I mean, the governor <laughs> of our state, Cuomo, said he doesn't like Christians and wants him to leave the state. Um, but we don't have, you know, we don't have Christians being hunted to be to be yeah. killed yet. Um, and uh, but that was that was what they faced in that time. It was open, blatant hostility toward the Christian faith, and yet the church grew, the church blossomed. So yeah. the success of the church didn't depend upon who was, you know, the the, the political uh, leadership climate around them. It it actually enhanced biblical. Yeah. authentic faith and the growth of the church. Um, and God was able to even convert a person like that. I mean, it's just amazing yeah. when you look at the context and what was actually happening and how shocked they were. You know, like he says at the end of the text, they and you see this actually in other parts of Scripture, yeah. the Christians were shocked and even years after struggled to believe <laughs> that this guy was actually converted. Yeah. I, I've often thought about that. Like, what if, you know... Pick a person, and you know, over the last few years, as I've thought about it, it's been different people. But you know, let's, what if Joe Biden or Kamala Harris all of a sudden walk out the door, have a press conference, and say, "Jesus revealed Himself to me, and I've I'm born again." Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm not I'm not even going as far as to say that you know I'm hoping that they just all of a sudden shift their political values. I would hope that that would happen if, if it would benefit mm-hmm. the, the country and benefit the church. But let, just the, their soul, just for the sake of their salvation, would we rejoice or would we be skeptical? Would we celebrate that or would we be fearful? 
There would certainly be people who would say, oh, this is just a political. Yeah. Like, they would only see an angle. Yeah. I, I hope that we would be able to celebrate it. You know, <clears throat> it's belief in the gospel. It's, it's belief in the gospel. And uh, I, I think we've got to get back to um, – I, I had a good conversation about this, you know, about people – you know, how do we prove someone's been saved or whatever? It's belief in the gospel. I, I can't prove somebody's been saved. You know, do I watch their entire life for the next 50 years? I, I don't know if I would want anybody to watch my life that closely <laughs> for the next 50 years. Because I'm bound to do something that's going to make you question me. So I, I think we just have to take people at their word uh, when they say that they've believed in Christ. Mm. The fruit will come. Mm-hmm. We're not called to be fruit inspectors in the sense that we need to prove everyone's been saved. And I, I got I got a checklist going. Well, I saw three apples this week, but one of them was rotten. <laughs> you know, like let's just trust the Lord. Like, just encourage them in the gospel and keep reminding them of the gospel in that regard as well. I'm I'm on a rant today, but um, let's let's again treat prayer as a priority, not a con- uh, not a con- consolation prize. So we should be praying for our leaders and praying for people to be saved because it is God who saves, and he is fully capable of saving the least of these. He really is. And um, I guess the, the final observation I'd want to make on this text related to what you're saying is the gospel takes time. I mean, you look at, there's a timeline here for Paul and his conversion, post-conversion, sanctification, grasp of the gospel. It says... In verse 17, I did not go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned to Damascus. Then after three years, uh, I went up to Jerusalem. So, um, you know, there's a three-year window here and maybe more. You know, I think there's some question about how long he was in Arabia. Um, It it was likely longer than three years because it says that it was three years after he returned to Damascus. So there's a process here. Grasping the gospel and and the gospel really taking root and, you know, beginning to be integrated into our thinking and our preaching and our understanding, our view of ourselves, our view of God, our view of the law, that really can take time because I think legalism is peeled away by layer sometimes, like an onion. And so um, where there's that initial conversion moment, there's this process we see even in Paul, who was the apostle of grace. Um, so nicknamed, we see this process. And and so I think as those who preach and teach the gospel and make disciples, and as those who are hearing the gospel and, and, and growing in our faith, we need to have the same mentality for patience as we see in this text, that yeah. the gospel takes time to... to get in there. It really does. You know, and and grow in a person and through a person. I mean, I can only speak for myself, but it's taken me a long time. Yeah. You know, I mean, I went to Bible college. I, you know, I have a a degree in theology. I still didn't get it. You know, I mean, like I I was born again, but I, I didn't, I didn't see what I see now in the gospel. And even now at 36 years old, the gospel surprises me all the time. Mm. You know, I'm constantly being surprised and and challenged um, in a good way. You know, challenged as I look through things and um, you know start to make those distinction distinctions between law and grace. And uh, and I, I'm just constantly being refreshed and challenged. And 
um, iron sharpening iron, you know, in the in the processes of talking with people, uh, my brothers and sisters in Christ and group and in church and all these wonderful things. I'm I'm growing, you know, and I I just think like you have said, I want to echo like be patient. Um, it's not an overnight thing that you just land in this place of you know like Paul didn't go from Saul to Paul and immediately start holding massive citywide crusades. Mm. You know, the gospel, it took time for the gospel revelation to really get in there, Hmm. really deep down. Yeah. Might that be in part what Paul was speaking to in in Romans 1, 16 and 17? I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God and the salvation, uh, first for the Jew and also for the Greek, for in it is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. Am am I I quoting that right? But that idea of faith to faith, like there's a revelation— of grace, a revelation of the gospel, a revelation of faith, and then you move to another revelation of gospel and faith. And I think one of the interesting pictures of that, too, is if you picture those moments of revelation of grace and gospel and God's love and, <clears throat> and, and truth as a mountain peak, then get, get, a, get a deeper picture of this. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith— to faith. So what's between two mountain peaks but a valley? Yeah. And so I th- and I think that's life, right? So we go through doubts, we go through confusions, we go through tension, we go through uh, trials, and suffering, and circumstances, and you know of many kinds. But all of it is useful to bring us into a greater revelation of grace and faith. And so I, I, I think that we see that in in Galatians one, we see that in Romans one, and I think if you're honest. Um, and and you analyze your own life, you'll see it in your own life. Yeah. And so that's why I think the gospel is an ongoing discovery. And like, um, I can't remember who I quoted a few weeks ago in a sermon, but we don't move on from the gospel, we move on in the gospel. Was that J.I. Packer? I think it was, it, it was Packer or another dude Stott, maybe? with... Another dude with two letters for a first name. You know, that's that's the <laughs> thing about theologians, you know... You haven't really gotten to the level of theologian unless you can have a good name with just two letters at the beginning. What's your middle name? Daniel. So C.D. Berg is not an excellent one. I'm, that's, I just, not, but that's not bad. I don't know. I C.D. Just, it doesn't, Berg. It doesn't roll off the tongue like a J.I. Packer or, you know, I don't know. Yeah, mine is mine be even worse. <laughs> DJ Levendusky. DJ Levendusky. <laughs> so either you're a theologian. <laughs> <laughs> we are theologians, but we're not those elite theologians because scholars. Yeah, because we don't have that ring. Yeah, it's really not about you know how many books you've written or how many you know theological degrees you have or what respect you have from the theological community or from the church. It really is about what your name sounds like. It is. It's all that matters, really. It really is all that matters. <laughs> all joking aside. <laughs> no, you know what? All joking aside, I think that the most important place where these conversations take place is within the context of the local church. Yeah. You know, I would rather have these con- conversations here, you know, amongst my friends and brothers, sisters in Christ, than, than write the next best-selling book. Yeah. I don't even know if I have the patience to write a book. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, hope you're encouraged today in the gospel. Um, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, I pray that, as we said earlier, the gospel would go down into the deep places of our hearts and shape us. Lord, just like Jesus 
you said you're the bread of life. That's the picture that we take it in and it goes down, down, down into our bodies and moves around and creates life and energy and, and, uh, and strength. So would your word be the bread of life for us that the gospel would go down to the deep places and move around inside of us and shape us. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name. And so from C.D. Berg and DJ Lewandowski, <laughs> just remember, Jesus is enough.